Welcome to the Future Charlotte Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Our guest today is Stephen Overcash, Managing Principal of ODA Architecture. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, you are welcome. I'm looking forward to it. So before we really dive into things, I just want to hear who you are, what you do, and how you came to Charlotte. Okay, I, uh, that, that, that's an easy one. I uh, graduated uh, from Mississippi State in 1979, and uh, me and my wife were both from the Deep South. We were looking at a place... 10 hours drive away from where we grew up to get away from uh, our parents and all. And so Charlotte was in the, in the radius and we just, it was really just sort of luck. So we made a plan that we were going to come up, uh, get licensed, stay here five years and, and move back to the deep South. And I had a job with a, uh, a regional company and uh, worked there for five and a half years. And then for a lot of reasons, I, I started a own company in 1984, and uh, it was just, it was one night at supper, we were just kind of talking and sort of forgot about it. We had kids by then. My wife said, oh, I guess we're not moving back to the deep south anymore, and it just hit me. If you have the company, you're sort of stuck, and she said, oh, that's okay, because we love it up here, and I could not have picked a better place uh, for my whole career, and it's very unusual for somebody to work for 42 years in one place. And I have really seen Charlotte just make a tremendous amount of changes. So so you kind of made the reverse move of a lot of people. You came north to Charlotte. <laughs> I did. And I, I do. I feel like uh, uh, when I say the Deep South, North Carolina is not considered the Deep South. I feel like I'm almost in Yankee land up here. <laughs> See, I grew up outside D.C. and then lived outside Boston and moved down here after school. So for me, I was kind of like, whoa, I'm going way south, all the way to North Carolina. <laughs> it's always always interesting to see those different perspectives. And a f- couple of years ago in 2019, you wrote a piece for uh, the Urban Institute about sort of the 40-year anniversary of, of yeah. your career here and changes you had seen over those 40 years. And I've, I've always really enjoyed that piece. And sometimes I go back and look at it and it's one of those things that just prompts me to think what Charlotte might look like 40 years from now. Good gracious. You can't imagine, Eli, uh, what I have seen and, 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 and come back in eight more years and we'll do a 50 uh, anniversary. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to hold be, you to that. I'll do it. That'll be phenomenal. But I moved up here and I, I sort of see Charlotte in um, sort of three phases, sort of like a kid. I moved up here when Charlotte was in an adolescent period. I mean, it was it was it was really small town. It was run by a handful of gentlemen that would meet at the city club and make all the decisions. And we know who they were. They were bankers and 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 big wigs. And ironically, it wasn't it wasn't planning staff and <laughs> and mayors and that kind of stuff. But they were uh, making the decisions. They did great things. Um, I was always told it was amazing that uh, we were such a banking town. Everybody wore suits and ties, even when you went out in the hot summer and everybody where I was working told me, said, well, Stephen, you better hope nothing happens to those banks because if something happens to those banks, Charlotte will be a ghost town. 
And I thought, well, that's sort of strange. It didn't really scare me. And, and, and you know, decades later, something did happen to the banks. And guess what? We're, we're booming more than ever. So it was just sort of weird. I worked downtown. When I moved to Charlotte, I interviewed, there was only two places you'd work back then. It was South Park, uh, which was sort of dumpy. I don't want to say dumpy. It was, it was, the, the mall was tired. It, it's nowhere like it is today. It was, uh, it was just old 60s buildings. I got, an, I had an interview there and the other place was downtown and um, I still call it downtown. I hate this uptown thing, but yeah, uh, I mean, that was, that was, uh, I guess one of the most visible and obvious changes when you moved here, uptown was downtown. And when I moved here in 2009, I guess 30 years after you did, I, I kept saying downtown and people would always correct me. No, no, here it's uptown. Here it's uptown. No, it's, it's silly. It's, I, I, but people think it's because it's, 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 it's up the hill or it's not because of that. Charlotte got on this big program back in the eighties that uptown sounded more upbeat. The yuppies wanted to call it uptown because that sounded more upbeat than downtown and I grew up in the deep south. There, it, downtown was downtown, so I always hated that they tried to change it. But uh, there was very few places. I, was, I chose downtown. I, I worked there for 21 years before I moved out of downtown. And it would be amazing when if I told you there was probably 10 restaurants uh, downtown, uh, one respectable hotel, which was the Radisson there at the Square, which is I think the Omni now. Uh, there was the Sheraton sort of out of town. Uh, literally, um, I, it, there was French Quarter. I guess Al Michaels was there. McDonald's wasn't even there. We had the Overstreet Walkway. I don't know if those were down when you got here, but uh, those were silly. They they copied. They said they copied Minneapolis because uh, Minneapolis had it. But the difference is Minneapolis is very cold. Uh, Charlotte installed them, I think, to separate the has from the have-nots. Back then. You, you really, there was nothing to do downtown at night. You, you, you got out of town at five o'clock and there was really no nightlight, uh, very few restaurants that stayed open. And um, so the, you, once you got in the Overstreet Mall, uh, you could go anywhere uh, up, up, up off the street life. And a couple of the restaurants, there were still two department stores. Two of the restaurants were in department stores. There was Ivy's and Belks and uh, just, just very few restaurants. So you couldn't get, uh, you couldn't get liquor, uh, liquor by the drink. Uh, that was strange. So that's why I, I sort of call this the uh, adolescent period where 350,000 people, that's, that's a good, people didn't know where Charlotte was. Uh, people, Charlotte had no identity. So it was called the CH factor, if you know what the CH factor is, but it was always confusing People didn't know the difference between Charlottesville, Charleston, and Charlotte. So if I told somebody, oh, I, I work in Charlotte, like, oh, my gosh, that's such a pretty historic city. I was up, like, no, that's Charleston, you know. And so it was the CH factor. Unbelievable that people really didn't know. They weren't sure if it was North Carolina or South Carolina. I've I've encountered that, too, a couple times. It seems like we're getting a little closer it's, but, better uh, it's better, but I don't think it's all the way gone. It's, it's I still it, encountered it. <laughs> it, it, it. It's getting pretty doggone close. And then what happened that really uh, that brought down the first wave of um, carpetbaggers from the north is when we got IBM, Royal Insurance. All of a sudden, this little small southern town was attracting 
big northern companies and a bunch of uh, northerners were moving down here and that was good because it was showing diversity and uh, differences of opinion and so the teenage years was when we started uh we started growing we sort of lost our virginity we got the um hornets uh that was good that was in the 80s and that but i kept hearing a lot of companies wanted to relocate to charlotte but they said we're we're not going to come down unless you have an NFL football team because Yankees like their, their NFL football. And so in the 90s, we got the Panthers, and that was sort of the next uh, wave of, uh, of Northerners coming down and people relocating. And we, we, we got uh, liquor by the drink. We didn't get, uh, we, we couldn't still get uh, mimosas for Sunday brunch. That was only a couple of years ago that that one changed. But isn't that strange? You really could not get liquor by the drink in Charlotte. Yeah, you know, talking about the teenage years, that kind of reminds me uh, kids sneaking around with liquor in bags and kind of, yeah, fits right into that. No, you, you, you figured out how to play the game. Most places it would have a liquor locker and you could take your bottle and they would lock it up with your name on the locker. So when you went there, they would bring the bottle to the table in a mixer. And so that's how you, you sort of got around that. But, uh, but uh, those, those years, probably we grew to maybe 750,000 people in the, uh, the teenage years. And um, planning started, you know, Charlotte started looking at edgier zones. Before then, we were, we were so stodgy with everything. Zoning was just ridiculous. You, you had to have a huge buffer between a restaurant and a residential area because we don't want people walking to the restaurant. They might get hit by a service truck and it was that kind of logic. And finally they started coming up with some edgy zones where we could start doing more mixed use development and communities. I guess in the teenage years, that was probably when we picked up Valentine. That was, that was a big deal because that was one more work uh, place besides South Park or downtown. But it was it was pretty much those three places. There was really there was no South End. There was no edgy, really Noda or anything like that. Yeah. So from your perspective as a, as an architect, tell me about some changes you saw. You mentioned uh, zoning changes and the embrace of some more walkable ideas when before walkability was at best seen as, well, why, and at worst as something that was a danger. Uh, tell me about some other changes you've seen in the design development um, universe in Charlotte. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how far they've come. They still got a long ways to go. Uh, we, in the, in the uh, teenagers, we didn't have the light rail yet. So we were still sort of very suburban um, and Valentine made it even more suburban. Uh, but they, they started seeing the benefit of maybe we can put office next to retail, you know, without a, without a big buffer and it, it'll, it'll work. So that's when those districts like, uh, like MUD came about. That was right at the end of last century. And uh, everybody was, was excited because all of a sudden now we, could, we can do mixed-use communities. And you just couldn't, you, you couldn't do it under the zoning because there was always these huge buffers and separation. There were charts you went to to tell you that it had to be a 46-foot buffer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the funniest thing was when the, we started proposing Live Works. That just, that just threw planning into a tailspin because it, it was 
mixing stuff vertical, you know, how do you, how do you put a buffer between the first and the second floor, you know, between re retail and residential? Uh, but the, the, obviously the, the light rail was a, uh, a huge thing uh, right there, I'd say at the end of the teenage years. There's a funny story there. I was on a, um, people just could not ex accept it. They just thought Charlotte was the last thing we needed. I was up at uh, University Partners. I was on that committee and we sort of saw it coming. So we ran a competition, thought this would be fun to plan a uh, a light rail station and, and a t basically a, a TOD. We didn't really know what to call it. So we had a competition and we sent it out to all these architects and planners and academics. And I was running the committee and I, I'm getting, I'm literally getting hate mail. People are sending me letters that look like it was written with a crayon and cut out letters that says, what are you doing? You're spending tax, like I was the one in charge of the light rail. I was just running the competition. And they said, this will never work. You're wasting taxpayers' money. Nobody's going to ride this thing. And I, I got real paranoid. <laughs> it was like I was the czar of the light rail. And we were just trying to experiment. And, and, and we got a lot of, of good feedback. And um, so now it's a reality. We've uh, we got spokes going everywhere. And tell me about your own office's move within that. And, you know, kind of zooming in a little bit to the neighborhood where you're located now. Sure. Well, we'll go ahead and move to the, the grown-up years, which is uh, where we are now, the adult uh, life of Charlotte. Um, I thought I'd never leave downtown, Eli. I, uh, I loved it downtown. I loved the energy. It was just so much fun. There was really any alternatives. And then uh, our office building was getting very expensive, and they, were, they didn't really like small tenants. They were looking for big floor tenants. So we were sort of forced out. And I told my partner at the time, I said, well, I'm reading about this crazy thing that Tony is doing with Mecca. Tony Presley calls South End. I said, let's just check it out. And uh, we were one of the first office groups that moved out here. We were above the old Carabas at the time. And then eventually we, uh, we, we built this building and uh, on the top floor. But I mean, it was it was considered mainly an arts district. If you were in South End, you, you were kind of an, an artist or an architect. There was really not much to do. And uh, so we, we found this property where we are now. And uh, it, it, we were on the fringe. Oh my gosh, it was, uh, we could afford it, but uh, I mean, we were really in a bad neighborhood. The only reason we took it, our, our parking lot had secure parking for our women uh, when they leave at night. And I swear, Eli, if somebody that day had said, well, stand right here and just imagine in 15 years, you're going to be looking at high rises out your front window. I would have said, you know what, I'm, I may be crazy, but I'm, I'm not crazy enough to buy that. Who would have believed that we'd be having 22 story buildings right out my front window? Uh, and now we're right in the middle of things. Tremont is like a main street and uh, where it used to be a dumpy leftover industrial and we were right in front of the Tremont Music Hall. I don't know if you remember Tremont Music Hall, but that yeah, was- Yeah, I, I wrote about that when it was demolished. And <laughs> that was a grunge- Some stuff, yeah. <laughs> it was a grungy place on Thursdays. They started showing up with uh, very goth looking uh, outfits on. And, yeah, uh, and they've uh, they built townhouses there now. And they've- Oh my named, gosh. I believe they named the streets after various musical things. Oh, that's great. I love it. It's the the main intersection is still Tremont and the and the other one is, is Music Hall. So you're- you're at the intersection of Tremont and Music Hall, which I love. I think that's great. But you look at all the fun areas now, Eli. I mean, besides South End, we got North End, 
any any area that has old buildings is now converted into some kind of a cool district. I remember when, at Southend we helped start the uh, the gold district years ago. We we sort of brought attention to that, and everybody kind of looked at us like, "Well, that's Southend. What are you what are you doing?" And uh, we said, "It's okay to have districts within a, a bigger district. Uh, big cities do that." You know, once again, it was just we were kind of stepping on toes because we were, you know playing around with the sacred South. But look at now, you got no dog, no dogs exploding. Even areas like Monroe Road. Monroe Road barely at what's it called? Oak Oakhurst is a, a fantastic, cool place now. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's the way I live out. And when I moved here, you know, just a little more than 10 years ago, it was nothing like it is now down the Monroe Road corridor. So yeah, changes changes coming fast down a lot of places that uh, people probably didn't anticipate. People are, we're having to spread out uh, because South End is so expensive. So now the West side, the West side is on fire. I was there yesterday and my gosh, there was carpenters and construction going up on every corner and what a great location. You're literally two minutes from downtown. 10 years ago, if you'd said we're moving to the West side, people would have looked at you like you're crazy. So Charlotte's exciting. I love it. It's I could not have picked a better place. And and it, we're if you look at the future, um, uh, the, you look at the I, I'm basically behind the 2040 plan. I know it's all this controversy, Eli, but I think the planners have put a lot of thought into it. They've had a lot of neighborhood groups. It's always controversy. I have I have been through every controversy in the last 42. I remember it was a big controversy when we started a landscape ordinance. Developers went crazy because now they're going to have to add eight trees to their development. It was going to blow the budget. And you look at the vision of that when people come to Charlotte, what's the first thing they say? It is such a green city because we had the vision to uh, to to make everybody plant trees as part of their development. And I, I just think it's great. But the 2041 thing that I, I find silly is they're making such a big deal about duplexes and triplexes in single family neighborhoods. Like, like that's inviting crime or something. If you look at the history of Charlotte, drive around Myers Park, drive around Dilworth, you see a ton of these little two over two they were old apartment complexes for the same reason. There were people, school teachers that couldn't afford a big house. And they said, it's fair to let's let them live in a good neighborhood. And you know, basically it was a quadruplex. They're all over the place. Yeah. I lived, now in, they're I lived in one for, uh, I lived in one for years. And they're charming. People love them. And, but now they, the, the, the planners and the, and the, the public is all upset. Oh my gosh, a triplex is going to, you know, you still, you still control who you're renting to, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's, uh, I think it's so important. I, I was, I was telling somebody today, Eli, that it, we don't do residential architecture, but if we did big houses, I, I would design the house where it can go through different phases and could be later easily converted to a triplex uh, or duplex because People's kids move out and then they're like, okay, I, I can't really afford to maintain this 3,800 square foot house. And now I've got to move and downsize. Wouldn't it make sense that you just downsize your house and you take on two borders and you stay in the same neighborhood? It looks the same. Maybe there's an extra garage on the lower level. I don't know. Um, other things that we're going to have to see too in the future is 
back to the same, when we say affordable housing, everybody thinks that means the true definition of affordable, but we look at housing, we look at workforce housing, uh, we really don't do the traditional affordable, but by affordable, the, the new kids coming out of school, they can't afford the Gen Z, they can't afford South End. Oh my gosh, a one bedroom apartment over here. They all, they all wanna walk to work, they all wanna live close by. And they come in and said, no, I, I'm, I'm still up at the university because uh, I can't afford, you know, 1,450 bucks a month as a new professional just getting started. So we're looking at some very innovative housing, not just, I know some people look at those very tiny micro units that are basically a hotel room, but we're looking at more co-living um, solo units where more Gen Z can live in the same unit. Maybe you can live in South End now for 750. It's sort of like an SRO uh, where you're renting a room. And I think that's, that's the kind of stuff we need to look at. So I think that we've raised some interesting issues about regulation and the market. And there's always kind of this push-pull in the development world of who's pushing new ideas, what does the market want, what are regulations pushing, what are they allowing, what are they not allowing. And you've referenced a couple times, you know, the planning department, but also uh, developers hesitant to try new things. What do you see driving the changing development world we have here in Charlotte uh, with more mixed use, with maybe some edgier, more interesting designs? Do you see more pushes coming from the regulatory uh, side of things, from the market-driven side of things? Uh, what does that look like in your world, in your day-to-day? Your -day? It's, it's getting better. Uh, most developers, they, they like horizontal mixed use. They don't feel as comfortable with vertical mixed use because always in the back of their mind, if they have an apartment complex, they can flip it, make a lot of money and move on. And it's harder when there's a mix of uses. The, the wave of the future, Eli, is gonna be vertical mixed use. It just is, it makes all the sense. Other countries are doing it successfully. Charlotte developers just got to, to be a little bit more, a little bit more visionary. The planning staff is they're they're getting there with the TOD slowly. Uh, they're encouraging more height. Uh, it's it's bizarre if you drive down South Boulevard, you can have all the height in the world. It's still sort of that same five six story level because that I, I know why the, the developers like to build with wood and you can still build that low. But I, I think we need more, you know, 22 story buildings and the new TODs is set up for it and they should, and, and developers should really be encouraged to, to take advantage of that height. And, and, and if you can, you're entitled to 20 stories, build 20 stories because it takes less land. It's, it's greener, it takes up more of the, less of the, uh, the property that we have left to develop. Uh, but they're, um, uh, I, I think the planning staff, I, I know we're due for some zoning overhaul at some time too, but they, they've got us cut back in TODs, they cut back on parking, but all the other zones, they, they don't. And I don't understand why with, with more Ubering and everything, they still have these old archaic parking requirements. And that's why you drive by a shopping center and it's you know half empty all the time. Yeah, so tell me about the kind of real world effects that that parking regulations can have beyond just, you know, well, there's more parking. What does that do to a development and why, why should people care? Well, it's, 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 if it, it, Charlotte says they, they want to be green and sustainable, the worst thing in the world is putting down asphalt on Mother Earth that, that you don't need. 
uh, because of some 1985 zoning ordinance that says you need these extra parking spaces. And it just drives me crazy when you have parallel parking on the street and they say it doesn't count. I said, well, people are parking there. Well, it doesn't count. It, it does count on like TOD zones. If it counts in a TOD zone, why doesn't it count in a, a business zone? My biggest pet peeve is out by the airport. Every zoning ordinance in America gives you a discount for hotels close to the airport because they shuttle. You know, you, you got a bunch of businessmen showing up in one car and shuttling to the airport the next morning. And I have been on this. And every time we do a, a project at the airport, we, we still have to put down asphalt that'll never be used. So if you're really saying you're going to be that green, then, and, and the, the planners, Eli, they, they have the right to, without going through a rezoning, to discount a little bit. They have that right to say, you know what? Your eight car is short, but you're not going to need them, so I'll prove it. But they, they don't do that yet. They still are um, very conservative. They're worried about lawsuits. And to me, I wish the planning department could use common sense. If you sit there and say, well, you're right, Mr. Overcash, that would be better, but we're going to have to go for a rezoning in five months and lots of money. And why, why do that? I don't understand it. You know, use common sense. And I've got a good relationship with the planning department. I really do. Uh, they know that I bring good ideas down there and I do do get into some mild arguments, but it's it's for a good reason. And a lot of times they'll admit and say, Stephen, you're, you're right. I, I wish we could do something about that, but let's do something about it. Let's just quit saying we wish we could do something about it. Let's make it happen. Let's quit putting down 25 extra parking spaces at an airport hotel. So let's turn to to COVID a little bit now, how that is impacting uh, your world. I know you work a lot in the hotel world, and that's obviously one of the the sectors that's seen uh, really strong impacts from the pandemic and the cessation of travel, more or less, especially business travel for a year. What changes are you seeing as a result of COVID? How do you expect that that will change things long term? Well, with hotels, they're 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 coming back. I think it was a little bit of misnomer. They they were devastated there for a few months. The, the business hotels, fancy downtown hotels like the uh, Westin, were were devastated. Uh, resort hotels, we do a lot of resort. They they did better than ever. They did. They had great years because people wanted to get out and get outside and get away from Atlanta or Charlotte and go spend a week at Gatlinburg or Myrtle Beach. So they actually did good. Um, what we do see is when we, this started, we started a task force to study how to make uh, primarily hotels, but any project type safer, healthier. And um, so we have a newsletter. We, we uh, did a lot of studying about well buildings. We see well building, which is sort of counterpart to lead. Mostly they work hand in hand. There are a few things they kind of go against each other. And you have to decide, do I want a healthy building or do I want to cut my electrical costs by 2%. And so, but I do see, uh, I, I do see changes. We're doing more touchless. Uh, we're doing more robotics uh, for cleaning with a GEV lighting. So as much, as much touchless as you can, you know, water faucets and hand dryers that you don't have to touch anything, uh, we're promoting heavily. Uh, people love outdoor space. We, we probably won't design 
ever a, 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 another hotel that doesn't have rooftop or a courtyard or something. People just like getting up and getting fresh air, more, more operable windows. I always wonder why we went away from operable windows. And I thought it was because of, I don't know, people jumping out or whatever. But I found out later that people hold a cigarette out the, out the window. So that was the reason that the, uh, they didn't like them. But I want to get back to uh, get back to more operable. Fresh air is good. So we do see uh, office buildings are, are going to change somewhat also. Let me see what else. Uh, I, I, but back to the, I do see that uh, residential multifamily is going gonna, is gonna to change a good bit with how people uh, perceive where they, what they can put up with where they can, can stay. As I mentioned before, the, uh, we got to find ways to uh, get people into the cool areas in an affordable way. So if you were president, king, emperor of Charlotte for a day, what would you change <laughs> to improve the development uh, of this city and the way we're growing? If you could change anything and uh, everyone had to follow it. Wow. You didn't put that one on your list. That one, uh, I would love to be the uh, the emperor for the day. Um, I, you know, I only, think only I would, of Charlotte, though, you know, can't let you go too crazy. Only of Charlotte. I, 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 I'm sort of re repeating myself, but I, I do think that uh, we have to put a lot of responsibility. Um, we have to hire good planning staff, creative people, not just people that want a, a government paycheck and benefits and and allow them to make good solid decisions. Yeah, we're, everybody makes bad decisions sometimes. That's going to happen, but it's too cumbersome right now. It's just literally you want to change one note on a drawing and somebody should say, it's for the good of Charlotte, I'm going to approve it. But instead, they hand you a form and say, fill this out, uh, go for a rezoning, pay a big application fee and hire an attorney. And that's just not right. We hired these just like the, uh, I, I agree with most, a lot of the city council with the 2040 plan. We hire all these experts to help us formulate that. And then we just start picking holes in it. And um, I think if you either A, go hire a different people, if you don't believe what they're telling you or listen to them, you know, Eli, that would be, I guess my biggest thing is to, hire great planning staff and, and, and take their advice. Uh, and, and, and they don't, it becomes very political often and they love to overrule the planning staff recommendations or, or whatever. But I guess if, if, I could, if I could make one thing happen, that would be let's get the best, the best planners that we can afford. I, I just, I think planners, Eli, are, are so important and they're often not treated that way because you got you got people overruling them all the time that have no background and no background in planning or city principles, you know, and uh, that would be it. That that would be. Can, and can I play that role for one day? Well, you know, I would let you, but <laughs> unfortunately, I don't think uh, legally I have that authority. So uh, I guess we we'll just have it, to see. Um, things could get done. It, the city needs to be more entrepreneurial and that, that's really government usually is not entrepreneurial. Charlotte has always been entrepreneurial from the first time we discovered gold in 1820 to after the bank banking bust, we were very entrepreneurial and we've got to instigate that with our uh, government officials. And um, 
I, I just, I, I think that's really what Charlotte has been about. One thing I, 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 I don't really like, and I hear it at the airport, and I do, I do fly a lot, and I'm no, I've never been nervous about COVID. The airplanes are cleaner than they've ever been before COVID. Uh, but I always hear the announcement by Vilaus, and she's welcoming visitors. I love Vilaus, welcoming visitors to Charlotte, and talking about all the great stuff and the soccer team coming and blah blah blah. And then she always finishes it with the big city with a small town feel. I, 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 we're past that. I, I think we need to own up. We are a big city. We're a world class city now. We don't. We're past the ch factor and get past this small town feel and be proud that we are a world-class, we're 15th in the nation, uh, 15th largest. So let's be proud of that and, and, and quit trying to straddle the fence and say, oh, we're really a small town. No, we're not. We're a world-class city and let's be proud of that. Well, Stephen, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, where can people find out more about your firm, your work uh, and what you're doing? Oh, okay. We, uh, uh, our, our website is uh, oda.us.com, and you can go to the website, and if you'd like, we have uh, opportunities. We have uh, newsletters that come out that kind of uh, have some good articles about what's happening out there, and we'll get you on the newsletter list, and uh, we would, we, we'd love for you to, to click on, and, and we'll get you on there, and you'll get a, a monthly publication. Well, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate your time and look forward to talking with you soon. This was fun. Thanks, Eli. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.